You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. We dismiss all of our young worshipers in training at this time. I invite you to return to Revelation 21. We'll begin reading this morning with verse 1. And read through verse 8, all the way to the back, almost to the very end. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, as we set our minds upon these words. We recognize that, Father, though John was the the penman, that, Father, you are the author. These words are holy. They are trustworthy. They are true. They are written down. They are published for our benefit, for our welfare, for our edification. Father, we pray that you would be pleased to teach us, instruct us from these words. That, Father, you would be pleased to apply these words and the precepts and the truths that are contained in these words to our lives. That you would be pleased, O oh Father, to work in us the graces that we need, O oh Father, to set our lives in motion in accordance and to truly align our lives and our hearts, our volition. Uh, to these these wonderful words. Oh, Father, we thank you. We praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to the last Sunday of the year, 2019, and uh, we also come to the last Lord's Day of the decade, don't we? That's kind of neat, isn't it? I guess. And I, I wonder, you know, as I was thinking about how to introduce this message this morning, I, you know, a couple of different ways I thought might be 
helpful, but I landed on this. I, I thought it might be kind of nice if we just thought about what we were doing 10 years ago. You know, just think back 10 years ago to the last Sunday of 2009. What were we doing then? You know? You know, where, where, where were we working? Um, maybe we were in, maybe we were in college. Maybe we were in school. You know, as we, as we look at youngsters here this morning, one just walking in to join us. She wasn't even here 10 years ago. She wasn't even with us yet. And that's, that's, and we can think of it, we can add to that. We've got several others. We could, we got a room full in the back, most, I think all of which. Maybe there's one back there. I don't know. There's probably one back there that I think is 11. Um, I have trouble keeping track of my own age, let alone everyone else's. So um, these little ones weren't with us. Most of them. That means you have never held them yet. You had never held them yet. You, you, you had never seen what the Lord had planned to bless you with yet. And perhaps some of us haven't even met our spouses yet 10 years ago. Maybe we had met our spouses and maybe we were in the courtship phase, you know. Or maybe, maybe we had set our eye on our spouse and we thought, how do I get the courage up to ask her to have dinner with me? I can remember eyeing up my spouse who lived next door to me, thinking, be nice to have her over for dinner. What were we into 10 years ago? What were your dreams, your aspirations, your goals? What were they 10 years ago? And where was your heart? Was your heart on Christ Jesus? Were you a believer 10 years ago? If you weren't a believer 10 years ago, oh, oh your life has changed, huh? We say that, you know, my life got turned upside down when Christ came into my life. But actually, we know better than that. Actually, our, <laughs> our lives got turned right side up. But in terms, but it, there's truth on both sides of that. The scriptures talk about the apostles turning the world upside down. There's truth on that side of it, because walking with the world, walking in the ways of the world, and then meeting Christ, and it, you really, your your all your values, everything that you've walked in, everything that you've believed, everything that you've you've come to embrace, all of the goals, everything, just gets flipped over on its head, doesn't it? But on the other side of it, it could equally be sad. No, no. You actually got, you were, you were on your head and you got put on your feet. You were flipped right side up. Time. You know, as I was thinking along these lines, I was thinking of Tri-State Community Church. Where was Tri-State Community Church 10 years, 10 years ago? 10 years ago to this day, I didn't preach on the Lord's Day. And, and, and on the last Lord's Day of 2009, I did not preach. I remember that. I don't know how I remember that, but I remember that. good friend of mine preached uh, for us on that, on that occasion. And uh, has anyone ever heard the term Low Sunday? I didn't think many of us would know that term. There's a term, actually, was really popular a couple of decades ago known as Low Sunday. Now, what is Low Sunday? Low Sunday follows High Sunday 
What is High Sunday? High Sunday typically was the Sunday before Christmas when historically in our country, churches would swell in attendance just before Christmas. But the following Sunday after Christmas was typically the lowest attended Sunday of the year. And that actually in itself, I mean, could be another sermon because that really was reflective that there were serious problems even back then, wasn't it? Serious problems. Um, I, I was taking advantage of Low Sunday when we first started. I remember when, um, when uh, I was receiving the call in, in, the, in our denomination when a, a church planner is installed, it's actually there's a, he receives a call just like he would receive a call to an organized church. And I remember there being discussion concerning my call. There was a group of people that um, my call stated that I was to be off four Sundays a year. And there was a group of people that were saying, no, he, we should put in his call that he's off six Sundays of the year. And incidentally, it was the older ministers who said he needs to be off six Sundays of the year, not four Sundays of the year. And interestingly enough, um, I see their wisdom in that. But I remember Connie Johnston, who was with us 10 years ago, who is now with the Lord. She was the wife of one of my, one of my mentors, Reverend David Johnston. And I remember Connie sitting there listening to all this discussion and, and she started laughing and she says, well, listen, you can give him 20 Sundays a year off. He's not going to be able to take them. And that was so true initially for the first, I don't know how many years, I think we took one Sunday off, I think for a couple of years, then we were taking two. It's only now, it's only this past year that we were actually able to take six. So we think about all the changes. And 10 years ago, we weren't meeting right here, by the way. I'm looking around. There's a couple of us who were here. Where were we meeting? We were meeting directly under this room. We were meeting in what they call the lion's room. And we, we had a room rented all the way down at the, hall, down at the end of the hall on the, on the first floor. And we would keep, we'd store all of our stuff in there. And then every Sunday, we would have to come in. We'd take the tables. We'd break the tables down. We'd set the tables up in the hallway. We'd set up chairs and everything. And do you remember the messes we used to clean up? It's like we would get there and the place would be trashed. They would have these parties down there on Saturday nights and they would just leave. And I remember thinking about two months in, I'm like, we're paying them to be their custodians. They should be paying us. I mean, the first thing we'd do is we would have to clean the place all up. We'd have to pull, we'd, we'd wipe all the tables down. We'd stack them up. We'd store them. Then we'd clean the floor. We would be in there a good half hour, probably 45 minutes cleaning the place. Then we would set our chairs up. And some of you remember the first time that I got the idea that we should come up here. Some, a couple of us will remember that. You remember what it looked like up here. It was something else. It was, uh, the, the, this wall here was, this wall was here. That wall was not here. The wall separating the two rooms was not here. There was no sink and counter back there. Uh, there was just pipes dangling. Um, there, there was an old heater that was tore apart, laying in the middle of the floor. There was a collection of things, I think, that nobody knew what to do with, so they threw them in here. And it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. Uh, this row of lighting was attached to the back, back there. And um, we thought, wow, this, this would be great. And they, they made us a great offer on this space. And uh, we thought, we remember us praying, should we move up here, shouldn't we? We were concerned about the steps, you remember? 
And, you know, we think, I remember the 22 sheets of drywall that we brought up those steps, you know. How do you forget that? They were 12 footers, you know, and you had to come up the first flight and you had to stand them up on end and then do this business and then up the next flight of steps. I can tell you, I can tell you I had a hold of every one of those. And um, I remember on a Saturday, Brian Tritt came down. There was a group of us. Dad was kind of leading it, framing up these walls. And you remember we worshiped in here and we had, we had just two before framing, you know. Uh, then some electricians come in and wired up some plugs for us. And we worshiped like that for a long time. Just then as we got more money, we got the drywall. And then we put the drywall up. And, and uh, these are all really fond memories. Later, we got carpet. Now, more of us will remember the carpet getting in here, right? And then now we've been blessed with the carpet in the hallway. And we have a committee that hasn't met yet, but they'll be meeting for, you know, after the, after the holidays called a decor committee to try to choose some, some um, flooring colors and paint colors and what have you to finish the last room. I know there's some of us very excited to get involved in that. So we'll be fixing up the remaining part. Um, it's come a long ways. Um, one last thing, and I think probably the most painful thing for me as a, as a mission developer, as a church planner and pastor, um, I remember... It was in April of 2008 when we started our first, war, our first Bible study. That was started in our living room. And it quickly, it went from just four or five people. Remember, it went, swelled up to about 18, 20 people, then to 25 people. You remember us having 25 people in our living room? And we were like, wow, this thing is really off to the races. But the older church planners were telling me, the church planners have been at it for a while. They're like, listen, you need to understand something. You need to prepare your heart for something. Most of the people that are with you now will not be with you two years from now. And I remember taking that to prayer. I'm like, no, heaven forbid that. No, I remember, I remember that being like, no, no. And I'll tell you right now, there's only three of us. There's only three. As I look around the room, there's only three of you uh, from that initial 25 people that are present here this morning, not including Tammy and I. It was just like they said, you know. So over those 10 years, you know, we've seen people come, we've seen people go, um, but it's truly wonderful to see what the Lord is doing now. Why am I spending so much time on this? Do I have a point? I think some of you right now are starting, does he have a point? Yeah, I have a point. Time is marching on, isn't it? It's marching on at a fixed rate. But what is it marching toward? The, the world will answer that question and say, well, it's just marching. You know, it's not necessarily marching toward anything. It's just marching. That's what time does. It just marches. Really, all on its own. It just marches. It's such a fixed pace, you know. All by itself, it marches. But our text that we've read this morning, our text actually takes us behind the scenes. It takes us behind time. It takes and it removes us. It transports us in many ways outside of time where the, the future is as clear as the present and the past. Because in God's mind, in God's eyes, this is something, if you want to just really delight yourself in the Lord this morning, try this. When God looks, He not only sees the present. When we look, we see the present. When we look back at the past, we see what we can remember. We can't remember everything. We can't see the future. We can only guess about the future. But when our Lord looks, what does He see? 
perfectly, clearly, all past, present, future. All at once. What a thought. It's difficult to, to entertain that thought very long, isn't it? It just brings you to your knees and you just, you just praise him. And here the Lord's inviting us in on the way he sees. He's inviting us in on what he sees. And, and in verse 5, we especially see this. In fact, verse 5, I would submit, and this has been said by others, by the way. This is not something novel to me. But I would submit to you that verse 5 is probably the most important verse in the book of Revelation. Verse 5 is such a key verse. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold. Behold. You see that word, behold? What's that word mean? That means, hey, all right, don't let your mind go fishing right now. Concentrate. Think for a second. Behold. See. Look. Take this in. Apprehend this. Behold. Behold, I am making all things new. Now, notice the tense of the verb, making. The Lord is not saying, behold, I will make all things new, though that would be a theologically correct uh, statement. Will He make all things new? Absolutely. But it doesn't say, I will. It's not speaking completely in the future tense. Nor does it say, I have made all things new. Would that be a theologically correct statement? No. Because all things haven't been made new yet. God doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I have made all things new. Nor does He say, I will make all things new. He says, I am making all things new. It's like a remodeling project. Listen, if you are involved in a... Fellas, if you're involved in a remodeling project, I pray you have a patient wife. Why? Because remodeling projects start with an enormous mess, don't they? Now notice the tense of a remodeling. I am remodeling. When people come to our home, I usually say if they've come for the first time, listen, we are remodeling. In other words, we got this mess. We can't quite get it done. It's a process that's going on. I'm starting to wonder. I shouldn't say this too loud with Tammy present, but I'm really wondering if it'll ever get done. She's been wondering that for years. As long as there's a little progress once in a while, you know. And there has been. We've made a little progress here recently. But notice the tense. It's something that's going on. It's ongoing. I am remodeling. The Lord says, I am making when we review the last 10 years, when you think about the last 10 years of your life and what is going on, one of the things that we recognize very quickly when we do that is all of these changes have taken place. I mean, you know, you, you know they happen so gradually sometimes where it's like, you know, you're walking along, maybe at a, you know, at a, you know, at a, a flea market or something, or you're walking along at a swap meet or something, and, you know, you're not focused on where you're going, you're just looking around, you're walking for a while, finally you look up and you're like, how far we've gone? Or you're at the beach and you're walking and you're not paying much attention. You're just walking. Then you turn around and you can't even see the pier that you started out at. But when you stop and you take a look back and you look at all of the changes that are taking place in your life, 
You might have been single 10 years ago. You might have been in school 10 years ago. You might have been in college 10 years ago. You might not have had any children 10 years ago. You look at all of the changes that have taken place in your life. Guess what? Every one of those changes is part of the fabric of what God is doing. There's a remodeling project going on. Now, I want to introduce it with the word remodeling, but I want to make a, I'm going to, as we go along here, you're going to see remodeling is not strong enough really for what God is actually doing, but it's a good place to start. And we'll let the word remodeling be the first rock we throw in the creek in order to step across, okay? Let's just hold on to that word remodeling. Look what is said in verse 5. The Lord says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, what exactly is the Lord making new? We're told all things. But in our context, if you look back to verse 1, John in his vision sees a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, some of us who love the ocean and read that the sea is no more, that doesn't sound like good news if you love the ocean and you love the beach and you, you love all those things, right? Some of you do, don't you? What do you think of a world without an ocean? No beach. Mm. Well, hold on to that for a minute. i got to watch how many things I ask you to hold on to. You're going to run out of hands. Notice it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What does this mean? Does that mean that the current earth that we are in right now is going to be utterly destroyed and that a second heaven and earth will be created? That's the interpretation of some, isn't it? Many have heard that, right? That this earth is going to be completely destroyed. The heavens will be completely destroyed. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And on the surface, it seems to say that, doesn't it? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And that seems to be what Peter tells us. If you just turn back a couple of books, you know, go past Revelation, go past Jude, go past the three letters of John, and go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter there is speaking about the day of the Lord. Speaking about the predictions of the holy prophets in verse 2, he's reminding, he's trying to stir up a sincere mind by way of reminder. And in verse 1, the end of verse 1, he says in verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now you see, there's this idea of a world perishing, a world that then existed. And it's flooded with water. And as the floodwaters reside, there's a new world. It's the same world. But can you imagine how radically different it was? I've often thought about that, and I've, I've taught on that. Could you imagine how radically different the world would look if it was suddenly flooded within the next 40 days? It was flooded with a, with a deluge 
that actually flooded the entire, entire world. Even Mount Everest would be under, underneath 30 or 60 feet of water. You imagine the effect that that would have on Chester, for example? What would that do to the hillside around here? That would bring the, you know, we get rain and what happens to our roads? The hillsides come down across our roads. What would happen if this whole thing was underwater? I mean, it could be anybody's guess as to what, would, what could happen. And I think it partially explains why when you go down 79, sometimes if you've done a lot of traveling like I have, you go down 79 once in a while. Have you ever gone down 79 and you get to those places where they've, they've cut the road through and you can, see the, you can see the strata of the hillside? Sometimes you'll see a van. You know, one of those large, long vans, you know, and you'll see a bunch of people and they're all up there studying those formations. I mean, this is, these, are, these are geological classes. They're instructors. They go to these places and they look at all the strata because you can see it right there, all the strata. You know, I, I can't help but to think that that was created during the flood. How is it they found fossil remains on mountaintops? Flood would easily explain that, wouldn't it? But when Noah got out of the boat... Did he recognize anything? Boy, I would think there would be... Oh, I think there would... You probably wouldn't even know where you were, would you? Where are we at? Probably took him a while to get his bearings. Back to Peter. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What I think Peter's talking about here is not the complete eradication of the earth being completely evaporated and annihilated, but that just as the earth was judged with water once upon a time, it will be judged with fire the second time. What's in view is the judgment. And the earth is going to be so remodeled. Let's start with that word. Remember, that's the rock we tossed in the creek. I, I want to go further. Let's toss another rock in the creek that will take us a little further. Remodeling is not a powerful enough word for this. Transformation, actually, is a better word, I think, because it's more than a remodeling project. It's actually a complete transformation that will take place. So much so that it could be said to be a new world. Now, wh wh why, am I, wh why am I so convinced that that's the case? Well, turn to Romans chapter 8. Take a look at Romans 8. I think Romans 8 is what really is the clencher for us. If you look at Romans 8 and verse 18, starting there, Romans 8, verse 18. There Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're going through a tough time, there's a verse for you, huh? Verse 19, for cre the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So here the creation itself is waiting with an eager longing. Now, it seems a strange thing if what creation's in is annihilation. It seems a strange thing to be waiting with eager longing for annihilation, doesn't it? I mean, one could say that you're suffering so bad that you would, could eagerly await annihilation so that you would no longer suffer but I think as we read on, we can see that can't be what's in view here. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, this is dense. What's going on here? Well, when Adam sinned, all of creation fell, didn't it? And became subject to decay. You know, we washed our car the other day, or yesterday we washed our car. Why did we wash our car? Well, it was filthy. It was filthy, I mean. Um, but secondly, I mean, that's really hard on the paint, isn't it? It's hard on the vehicle. It's, it, our cars, you've got to work on them all the time. They're in a state of decay. Our houses, we have to work on them. Everything around us is in a state of decay. What about our bodies? Some of us are nurses. How's the body hold up? It's in a state of decay. Creation is longing. It's longing to be stripped from the bondage of that. It's, it's longing for freedom. It's longing for transformation from this is what it's longing for. Not annihilation. But notice the parallel that Paul sets up here. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... Notice just the metaphor of childbirth. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. So the believer is groaning, groaning inwardly and creation is groaning. Okay, both are groaning to the same end. What is that same end? transformation. I, I'm going to guess that most of us looked in a mirror this morning, and I don't mean any disrespect, but are you always happy with what you see in the mirror? This stuff is like drooping. It's like, uh, see if we can get it back up there. You know, it's drooping, and you look, and you stand back from the mirror, and you see, whoa. Boy, all kinds of stuff's drooping. It's, it's falling down. It's, uh, we, it's, it seems like everything's falling down in this little pouch, you know. Um, you, you follow what I'm saying? Would you like that to be different? That's a no-brainer. In many ways, we groan. We groan for the transformation. Transformation of what? Transformation of our bodies, the resurrection body that we're promised. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, the transformation of our bodies. End of verse 23. For in this hope we are saved. And Paul continues on and on. It's for these reasons that I don't believe that this earth is going to be annihilated, but it's going to be transformed. And when we come back to Revelation 21 and turn back there with me, what do we see? God sees past, He sees present, He sees future, all at once. And what is he seeing here? What is he showing us here? He's showing us the consummation. In other words, the completion. You know that word consummation? What's, what's consummation? Someone answers, well, consummation is one of those four-syllable words that everybody uses, but nobody bothers to explain. Yeah, that's it, consummation. Consummation means the completing, the finishing. It means the end result. As we think back about 10 years of our lives, what were we doing 10 years ago? And we think about all those things. How has our lives changed over the last 10 years? How is the, the, the community here at Tri-State Community, how has it changed over the 10 years? As we think about all these changes, what direction are we headed to? How are we moving? What are we going forward to? What, what is happening? Well, I can tell you what is happening. God is taking us. We're on a bus, and He's taking us to consummation. He's taking us to the completion of what He plans to do. And in this marvelous chapter, He's giving us a vision of what it'll be like. We're on a ride. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're on the bus. And the bus is moving at a steady pace. 
And we're now 10 years, we are 10 years closer to the consummation than we were on the last Sunday of 2009. And I don't know about you, but as you think about the last 10 years of your life, where did it all go? It makes me wonder, okay, in 2029, maybe we could preach this again if the Lord is willing, if he doesn't return in that period of time. If he sustains me long enough, another 10 years, maybe, maybe we could preach this again in the last year of the decade that we're about to slip into. The decade that the bus is taking us to. Maybe we could do this again. And I can assure you, there will be numerous changes. And all of these changes are part of what the Lord is doing. See, he's, he's, he's not just remodeling, he's transforming. He's making all things no. Isn't that? I mean, that's breathtaking, isn't it? It's just absolutely breathtaking. John talks about a holy city. We could talk about that another time. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What is that? You recognize that? Many of you recognize that. That's the covenant promise, isn't it? You see, there's a covenant that runs all the way through Scripture called the covenant of grace. And the promise is this. God says, I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and I will make my dwelling with you. You see, in the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be a lot like the Garden of Eden. And the respect that Adam and Eve were able to visually see God as he come into the garden. The new heavens and the new earth, we won't be looking at Jesus with the eyes of our hearts. We'll be looking with Jesus with the eyes in our heads. We will see him just like we see one another. And when we see him, we are going to be so blown away by the fact that he would choose to be our God. But we are even going to be more blown away that he would choose to die on the cross so that he could be our God in this salvific way. What are those nail holes in his arms going to do to us when we see them. I'm only here because of those, those horrible wounds that he sustained for me. I'm only here because of that wound that he received in his side from that soldier. How transforming that'll be. We see it now, don't we? We see it now, but we see it so dimly. It doesn't really have the effect on us. It has an effect on us. It has a marvelous effect on us. But it slowly dims away. But when we're seeing him, it won't do that. When we see him, it won't do that. It won't do that. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear. I think I, I, every tear, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. This, this is such a famous verse, and it's a wonderful verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now, this, notice the word things in verse 4. I think the word things in verse 4 informs us in the word things in verse 5. 
If you look at the, if you look at the things in verse 4 and you compare it to the things that are in verse 5, the Lord says, I'm making all things new. Verse 4, the former things have passed away. What things? Well, the things that have caused all the crying. Well, what's caused all the crying? Well, ultimately what's caused all the crying was, was Adam's transgression in the garden. Because when Adam transgressed in the garden, Adam fell and all humanity fell with him and the, and the creation was cursed. And here we are, we're walking around a cursed world. Well, what is going to be, what is going to be burned up with fire? And actually, it may be a literal fire. It may not be a literal fire. It doesn't have to be a literal fire. It probably will be a literal fire. But what will be burned up in this little fire? It's judgment. Judgment upon what? Judgment upon all of the things that are wrong. Leaving behind all of the things that are right. That's why as believers in Christ Jesus, we won't be affected by it. Why? Well, the illustration we get all the way back in Exodus with the Passover. When the angel of destruction came in to judge Egypt, the faithful were instructed to crucify or to, uh, uh, to sacrifice the lamb and to paint its blood on the doorpost and on the lentil, right? And the angel, when it saw the blood, he passed over the house. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that's an illustration. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, the very blood of Christ has his, 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 his shed death on the cross, has atoned for our sins, has taken our sins away. God is not going to punish Jesus for our sins and then turn around and punish those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. No, we're going to be covered in Christ. The, the destruction will go right over top of us. And that's the point of the verses that start really in verse 6. If you look at verse 6, 21 verse 6, we get in the right chapter here. 21 verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's the Lord speaking. The beginning and the end. The thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Okay. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Who is the one who conquers? The one whose faith is in Christ Jesus, right? I will be his God. He will be my son. But verse 8, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, without the covering of Christ, what's going to happen? Without the covering of Christ, there will be a destruction. But it won't be an annihilation. Annihilation is not in view. We know annihilation is not in view because the destruction that's going to happen to the ungodly is a destruction that will go on for eternity, isn't it? And it works really simply. Unless the Lord takes our sin nature away, then we're going to continue in that sin nature. And as we're oppressed with God's wrath, we will continue to sin. As we continue to sin, we're going to store up wrath. As wrath is executed, we'll continue to sin. It'll store up more wrath. And you see there's a vicious circle there that will just never end. Some of the changes that have taken place in the church over the last hundred years is on this very, on this very theme. Speaking like this, Makes you sound like a fire and brimstone preacher. One time I was introduced to a group of people and they said, oh, this is Rick Anderson. He's, he's not one of those fire and brimstone preachers. And I just cringe. I'm like, I don't know what that meant. I really wish that wasn't said. And it was in, with those words of introduction, I had to start speaking. And all I wanted to do was try to clarify what was said without embarrassing the one that said it. 
That's what was going through my mind the whole time I spoke. I don't even remember what I was speaking about. I just remember that introduction. Now, if what that introduction means, I'm not one of those guys that stand up with a pointed finger pointing down at everybody saying, yo, 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 with this smirk on my face like I'm enjoying it, that people who are outside of Christ are all going to perish for eternity. If that's what is meant, then I'm happy to say, no, I'm not that kind of preacher. I don't ever want to be that kind of preacher. That's, that's awful. When we speak about the destruction of anyone, we should do so with tears in our eyes, not with a smirk on our face like we're enjoying it. But what if they, but, but if what they meant was I don't preach on the judgment, that there's a judgment coming, then I, I, I must make a correction very quickly because I, a judgment is part of my message. It has to be part of my message because it's part of the message. And if we tell people there's no judgment, what are we saying? There's no, no reason to quit doing what you're doing. There's no reason to repent. Don't worry about it. Have a party. Everything's cool. No, everything's not cool. You see right here very clearly everything's not cool. What's happening? We're on a bus. The Lord has His people on a bus. Time is marching. Click, 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 click. At a steady pace. You can't stop it. You can't even take one second away from it. It's moving. It's moving towards what? The new heavens and the new earth. Who will occupy the new heavens and the new earth? Only, only those who are in Christ Jesus. What will happen to the rest? They'll be thrown into utter destruction. That has to be part of our message. Is anybody, you're like me, have you ever trembled at these words, verse 8 especially? I, I, I don't think many of them need any commentary from me this morning, but except for the word cowardly. Has anybody tripped over that word in this list? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. Now, I think in our culture, we're going to trip over many of these words because we're increasingly, every year as we think about changes, as we think about the changes of the last 10 years, we're increasingly told, culture increasingly tells us that sin is okay. Sin is okay. Sin is okay. Uh, immorality is okay. We're constantly being told sexual immorality, okay. All this immorality, adultery, okay. It's all okay. No, it's not okay. Faithlessness, we can catch. Detestable, that which is detestable today, that which is detestable is called good. But I think for our purposes this morning, we get it. I don't think you need me to explain detest what's detestable. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. But the cowardly thing, what is up with Cowardly. I can remember reading this long ago thinking, does the Lord only save the brave? Some people are incredibly brave. Some people aren't so brave. Is bravery part of the equation of salvation? Well, then the answer we have to say no because it's not according to our works or according to our purpose or our performance that we're saved. It's only by grace that we're saved, right? Then what does cowardly... What does... what? How do we explain this cowardly stuff? And the answer, I think, is this. What's in view is spinelessness. Think about spinelessness. Uh, a person who is spineless. A person who is spineless is always going to take on the, uh, the color of the room, right? If it's a believing room, then they're going to take on the color of a believer, 
But if they walk into a room where there, there are no believers, then what color are they going to take on? I think that's the answer to this verse, personally. I think that's what's meant by that word. So what do we do with all of this? Well, one application that I think I'll leave you with and I'll close is uh, if we don't have all the answers, God hasn't revealed everything to us about the new heavens and the new earth. You know, the sea, I asked you to hold on to that. Let me not forget that, the sea. Um, let me just say real quick here. Um, when the Bible speaks about the sea, oftentimes, and especially in the book of Revelation, sea is referred to, it's, it's really a metaphor for chaos. It's a metaphor for evil. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the beasts, they come up out of what? They come up out of the sea. And I think what this is a metaphor for is that chaos and evil. I don't think this is really pointing to the eradication of the oceans. I think in the new heavens and the new earth, I think that there will be creatures in the sea. I think there are going to be beautiful beaches. I think there will, I think there will be sand. Um, and, and not to dispel the notion that's so common that all of us will be floating around in clouds with harps. Um, that's been the popular notion that that's what the new heavens are going to be like. You're going to be floating around in heaven and you're going to have a harp. I mean, first thing we got to do is get rid of the harp and get a guitar if that's going to be heaven. Uh, if we could float around with guitars... Uh, maybe less Pauls or something, that would be a little better. But I don't necessarily want to float around in the heaven for all eternity or float around in a cloud for all eternity. That's not, that's not what's in view here. There's going to be, the, the world's going to be, in many ways, there's going to be continuity between this world and the world to come and the world that we're enjoying now. I think there's going to be beautiful beaches. I think the water's going to be clear. I, I think that, you know, um, people that like to water ski, I think you're going to be, you're going to be able to water ski. Um, I, I think all that. Again, I'm, I'm connecting dots here, and I want you to know that I'm just connecting dots here. I'm kind of speaking now in my own, really my own speculation, so just take that for what it's worth. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of continuity. But in closing, I think one of the great applications of this text is let us not be afraid to give up what we currently have. What keeps a lot of people from Christ is they're afraid to give up what they're holding, you know, um, what they're holding. Um, I can remember Samantha, she's sitting with us here this morning, not to put her on the spot, but I can remember being across the river in a youth group many years ago. Samantha was just a youngster in that group, and I can remember asking the group, you know, and maybe Samantha will remember this when I bring it up, how many of you are afraid to come to Jesus because you think your life will be boring? Do you remember me asking that question? And it was almost unanimous. All the little hands, they were, they were junior and senior high hands. Some of them were little tiny hands. The hands went up in the air. Well, listen, everyone. You can be rest assured that your life will not be boring if you come to Christ Jesus. In fact, in comparison, life without Jesus is boring. The things that the Lord has for his people are things that the hearts of not, most creative of us could never imagine. The eyes have never seen. The Lord is giving us a glimpse. He'll elaborate on this. Verse 5 is so pivotal for what comes next in the rest of chapter 21 and really in, the, in much of chapter 22. The Lord fills in some of the gaps, but the Lord withholds much of it. We don't know much of it. 
But the Lord is showing us, he is giving us the taste to say, this, this is what awaits my children. And it is incredibly good. Take my word for it. Write these words down, the Lord says. And who is saying all this? Who is saying all this? I saved the very best for for the last. Verse 5, who has said all these? He who is seated on the throne. Why are these words trustworthy and true? Because he who is seated on the throne is saying them. And not only is he saying them, he's telling John to write them down. Why? So that we can study them almost 2,000 years later and be edified, just like our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago were edified. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so much more could be said. Our attention spans are what they are. So much more could be said, Father. We thank you, Lord, for these great things that you have done. We sing about these things, Father. It's good for us to pause here on this last Sunday of the decade to just ponder on what you've been doing in our lives for 10 years. Everything that's good in our lives, Father, our children, and everything that's good in our lives, Father, you've, you've put there. We so thank you, Father. We so thank you. We so praise you, Father. And as we get this glimpse of the future, we recognize we're, we're on a ride. We're, it's like we're in a bus and we're, we're, headed, we're headed to the consummation. That, that word, it's abstract to us. But when we come to Revelation 21 and verse 5 in the surrounding context, Father, the abstraction gives way to a real view, a real picture that you've given to us. And it is wonderful. It is delightful. Fill our hearts this morning, Father, with these things. As we walk forth from this place, Father, rivet these things, Father, to our hearts. Fasten them, O Father, to our hearts. Transform us, O Lord, further and further, and prepare us for this this future eternity that you have for those who love you and have given their lives to you. And we thank you, O Father, lastly, for Christ Jesus, who has made this possible. Father, you have decreed it. Lord Jesus, you have made it possible. Holy Spirit, you are applying it. Do your triune work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.